Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. But Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciple did so. And everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciple picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Good job. Great job, Bella. That was awesome. My name is Mark. I'm the pastor of the Vine. Thank you guys for being here. And for those who are here for the first time, special welcome to you. It's really nice to have you here. Like it's been shared, today's a very different kind of day for us as we've invited our kids to stay in with worship. And uh, like I shared at the beginning of this of the service, one of the greatest predictors for a lifelong relationship with Jesus is seeing other adults in worship as a child. And so we want to normalize this. So uh, every fifth Sunday, this is what we're going to do as a church is to have our kids stay in and disrupt how we do worship and experience being a part of the family of God. Um, and even being with these kids have made me think about my own memories as a child, memories of being in church, memories of my family. Um, do you know those, some of those memories that get in your mind and you think about often? And it wasn't necessarily like a really profound memory, but you just can't quite shake it. I've, I have one of those around getting my hair cut. You could say that the Charbonneau family was very resourceful um, when it came to spending our money. There's another word for resourceful, and it is cheap. We were very cheap. Instead of going to some of the cool kid-themed barber shops where you're sitting in a race car and you're watching, like, Looney Tunes while you're getting your hair cut, uh, the Charbonneaus, we found a place where they were training beauticians on how to cut hair. And so uh, they needed people like myself or people like my parents who would put their kids in those chairs just to be, you know, the lesson. Anyone else grew up going to one of those schools where it was like discounted schools? No? No one else? Me and Clint? Thank you very much, Lauren. Awesome. Uh, it, was, it was a wonderful feeling, especially when you look back at it, and you're like, oh, great. So untrained people with scissors and razors practice on cheapos like myself who are looking for a good deal. Now, there was one night in particular, I think I must have been seven years old, my dad brought me to one of those places, and 
uh, as a seven-year-old, I climbed up into the chair. I wasn't tall enough, so they, they grabbed that little, like, wooden plank kind of thing where it props you up a little bit more. And I sat on that, and I got my hair cut. It was taking way too long. At the very end, the student probably was, got done cutting my hair, looked at my hair, was like, I guess I'm done. And then, like, the, the advisor and my dad looked at my hair and kind of maybe said a couple things. And then after that, the, the reverse cape was taken away from me. And I was able to jump down from this barber chair. But when you're a kid, normal heights like that feel a lot higher. And I remember uh, jumping down off of this chair without knowing that both of my legs were completely asleep. Like non-responsive limb type asleep. And so when I jumped down from this chair, both of my legs just absolutely crumbled. And I went face first straight into the clumps of hair that were collecting on the ground, like this undesirable pillow for me. Uh, do you guys remember in that scene in Bambi where Bambi's trying to stand up on the ice? That was me on the floor of this barber shop trying to get up off of this gross collection of hair, trying to stand up. But when you see someone with their legs asleep, it's not like it's obvious. So everyone was just staring at me, going, I remember him walking in here on the way in, but he can't now. And I just, I could not get up. And it was just this desperate feeling I had. Finally, I, you know, trying to fight back tears. I was like, my legs are asleep. And that provoked not, no compassion, but just humor. And everyone broke into laughter. That for me is a memory that I play over in my mind. I just think about the helpless situation uh, that we can often find ourselves in. And as we go through the Gospel of Luke, there is a lot of helpless situations that the story and the life of Jesus intersect. It's like Jesus has this um, honing device when it comes to people who are desperate. Like Jesus is compelled, long to gravitate towards those who are desperate. In this story that we just heard Bella read, we experience that. Here we are in Luke's Gospel in the ninth chapter, and the disciples find themselves with Jesus in a desperate situation. Word had gotten out about Jesus, about how this common man from Galilee was wandering through this region. He was teaching people. He was uh, healing others. He was driving out evil spirits. He was befriending all the wrong people. He was challenging those in power, and he was beginning to form this little crowd of followers. And it was in this moment that with this this growing momentum of what was happening to Jesus that we find here this, this passage. In verse 10, we find Jesus took with him, uh, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. This is where the disciples and Jesus were kind of retreating from the crowds. But in verse 11, it says, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. It was getting more and more difficult for Jesus to have rest and solitude the crowds kept finding him. And why do you think these crowds were coming to Jesus? Why do you think they were, were so desperately coming for him? Let's have a little all-play question. Healings? They were coming to him because they had their need for healings? Yeah. Just curious. Yeah, is this the real deal? Yeah, when you look at what the, a lot of the commentators believe about the crowd on this day, they were common, ordinary uh, 
farmers. They were not people who were necessarily knew, the, knew about excess, materialism. They were coming to Jesus out of a deep need, and I think also deep curiosity. Is this truly the Savior that we've been waiting for? And on this day, Scripture says that 5,000 men show up. When you think about the children and the women that were with them, it's easy to, to imagine 15 to 20,000 people were now at this unintentional gathering. So imagine, if you will, uh, at Zilker Park with an unintentional ACL fest happening. And this is what happens when Jesus, with this need to retreat, with this need to rest and find renewal, uh, he is highly inconvenienced by this crowd that shows up. Verse 11, it says that Jesus, this is how Jesus responds, Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of welcome and inclusion where he gathered and practiced hospitality with those who were in front of him. It was a ministry of teaching about a different kingdom. I love how some scholars, they talk about Jesus' kingdom as a new reality, that Jesus was beginning to talk about there's a new reality coming in our midst. And then also he had the ministry of healing. This is what Jesus spent his time doing, welcoming, teaching, and healing. That is why Jesus came. But a problem began to develop in this day with this crowd of 20,000 people at Zilker Park gathering there. The disciples start to notice the sun is beginning to go down and I think Jesus is a little bit too preoccupied by the crowds and the needs that he doesn't realize that we have a situation that's beginning to develop. It's getting late. We don't have a place for people to stay. We don't have food. These common, ordinary, maybe even poor people, they don't have food and provision with them, so what are we gonna do about it? And so, what do the disciples consider to be the best option? They go to Jesus and say this, Jesus, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. So here at Zilker Park, with this miniature ACL fest happening, they're like, Jesus, send them down Barton Springs Road to find a food truck. Tell them to open up their Airbnb or Verbo app. They got, we can't handle this. We, we have to, they have to take care of themselves, but Jesus Look at Jesus' solution. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. What I want to convey to you in this message, what I want to point out to you in this passage is Jesus' solution to the needs of those around him in that day and to the needs of those around us in our day as well. You will find in so many different passages in so, several different ways, the disciples think that Jesus' solution is out there, or the, the, the solution between God and people alone. But what we'll find over and over again is that God wants to provide through the gathering. It's the space between me and you that God wants the sacred provision to show up, where between me and you, the space between us is the blessed space where God wants to, to, to sustain us. The kingdom of God is not something to be outsourced. It's actually in our midst. It's here. So Jesus directs their plan. We aren't going to send them away. You give them something to eat. 
And then they look around at all they have, and they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And Jesus said, you know what, you're right. All right, all right, everyone, I know you're hungry and worried, so prayer emojis to you, blessings, good luck. No, this is what Jesus' solution was. Jesus said this, have them sit down in groups of about 50, The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them, and then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. So Jesus' master plan was, I break them up into groups of 50. Now, why do you think Jesus did that? What do you think took place? What do you imagine happening in these groups of 50 while Jesus was blessing and breaking, what do you think took place in these little gatherings? Fellowship? Do you think it was awkward? Like this moment of silence? Do you think it was weird? I think so too. I think the gatherings of the 50, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, at the end, I'm sure they were very, very thankful. Yeah. I like to imagine getting in these little groups of 50, all with the the tummies rumbling a little bit and experiencing this, and then the disciples taking this little provision, and then Imagine what would happen. You know what it's like when you are sharing like a small plate meal at an overpriced restaurant and everyone's passing that little bitty cup of whatever, super fancy, and there's like a certain number of chips on the table, right? That you start doing the math and you're like, that's a little bit of a grabby person. That's a little bit too big of a portion, you know? And just think about in this gathering, 50 people, Parents concerned about their kids and that kind of thing and people who actually showed up hungry that day. And as this moves around, people seeing the needs of others, people trying not to take too much, people ensuring that there is a portion left for other people. And imagine for 50 people as the food starts to move around and you realize, oh my gosh, there's going to be enough for us. There's no way there's enough for us without there not being enough for the other groups of 50. And then you start looking around, and you begin to slowly realize that everybody's eating. Everybody has enough. Like this provision, this little bit, what we had together when we sit down and we look at each other and we begin to share in our hunger and our need that God, God is doing something unique that the space between us, the needs that we share with one another, is the blessed space where Jesus is doing some profound work. So it changes, our, it changes our perspective. When we see a mutual hunger, and we see a little provision, we can so easily be locked into a mindset of scarcity, where your hunger is now in competition with my hunger. Your needs is now competing against my needs. And Jesus and his kingdom is flipping it all upside down where there's a different kind of mindset. It's not scarcity mindset. It's an abundance mindset. 
It's an abundance that the space between you and I, when Jesus meets us in that need, that between us, we'll find that we have enough. Maybe it's not enough uh, compared to the world's standards. I'm not saying there's a prosperity gospel to this. It's not like, you know, like this candy example that we had earlier. It's not like if you give God all your money, you're gonna be super wealthy. That's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is when it comes to our community, what we find is God's provision of abundance happens in our midst. We oftentimes want God to give us what we need, and we think our relationship with God is just this individual thing. It's just like this, this me and God thing. What we miss out on is God's provision oftentimes is here. And we know this as a community. When we've walked long enough, when we share our needs with each other, that God shows up. When it's my turn to go through sorrow and suffering, and you have a little bit of hope to give me that day, it's enough. This is the blessing of being part of community, is the space between you and I is where God shows up. One of the, uh, one of the guardrails that we have as a church speaks about this. The guardrails are what keeps us where we wanna be. It's like values that we have that keep us on the track that we have. We believe that God does some of his best work in the context of relationships. God chooses to do some of his best work between me and you in the context of relationship that God shows up. And that's not something we created. It's something we find over and over and over again in the Gospels, in the stories of Jesus, that Jesus chooses to call people not only to Jesus, but to each other. Jesus sends out, and we've already seen this twice in our readings through Luke, Jesus sends out his disciples never alone, but with others in groups of two, in small communities. Here in this moment, Jesus could have said, I'm gonna break the bread, I'm gonna break the fish, everyone line up, single file line, and I wanna have this moment with me and you, here you are, I love you, I know you. But instead, Jesus says, groups of 50, you're gonna experience my portion, my provision, together in the context of relationships. It's in context of community. This past week, my, I meet with a Praxis group, which is our version of small groups, uh, groups of four to six people, somewhere in there, where we're looking at ways to practice the life of Jesus. My Praxis group is with some guys like in the, their late 20s and early 30s, and we've been talking about the weekly practice of embodying mercy in the margin. As a church, we don't believe it's our job to go into the margins of our world to save people. We don't come in there because we know the truth and we're gonna pull people up and teach them how to be like us. We actually wanna go into the margins believing that God is already at work there and all we need to do is to embody Jesus's mercy. That's what we're called to do. And so for, for me and my practice group, we were talking about doing that. We were talking about where are some of the places that are in the margin of our society that are doing that? And I realized that none of them had been to a place called Community First. Anyone been there in Community First? Okay, great. So for those who, pre-COVID as a church, we would go out there about quarterly, and um, we look forward to doing that again later on as a, as a community. But Community First is a, uh, it's an area that's been developed to help out those who have been chronically homeless rather than having them just hide out in the woods or underneath the bridges in our society, what if we can actually help be a part of something where we're creating a, a holistic care community for our friends, our brothers and sisters who find themselves without a home? It's in Far East Austin, so me and these guys, we went out there, my friend Matt gave us a tour, and on that tour, I was remembered that uh, 
I remembered that, that they believe uh, that the issue of homelessness is really complex, right? We know that, like the issue of homelessness is really complex. There's not a silver bullet. There's not one cause. You know, although we believe that people are driven in, into homelessness because of economic inequalities and mental health issues and addiction issues. But for them, they believe that this is their phrase, the single greatest cause of homelessness is a profound catastrophic loss of family. Their experience after decades of doing this work is that the single greatest cause, not the only one, but the single greatest cause, is the profound catastrophic loss of family. When people have a loss of a network of mutual communal love and support, isolation, pain, addictions, um, rejection, all of that take place and people find themselves marginalized in our world. Now, while walking these grounds with um, some of my friends, we met a resident who talked to us about a book that some of the people in, their, in that community are they're reading. And um, because for them, they, if it's catastrophic loss of family that's, that's caused this, for them, it's more than just creating homes. It's about creating a community, hence community first. So their goal is to create this community. And part of this is some of them are reading a book around sobriety and recovery. And this resident asked us, he said, do you know what truly combats addiction? And we kind of paused and we didn't have a good answer. And he said, connection. He said, for, for me, there's nothing that, that combats addiction more than connection. Being a part of something bigger than yourself having space, a safe space where you can bring your true self and all your flaws and all your needs to other people and knowing that you will be received and loved and maybe even hear the phrase, me too. I've been there. Oh, I'm there right now. It's in that place where you have that, uh, that sense of connection where you realize that you're actually needed. You're not just a, a victim, but you're actually needed in other people's lives as well. That does more to fight addiction than anything else. And I was struck there on the ride home, we were talking about that, and what we find with our friends who are battling homelessness, we experience in our own life. Like, that's not something that's out there, but we know that to be the case too. Maybe even in this season of life, you have felt more isolated and disconnected than any other time in your life. And we just know that that is fertile ground for our addictions, our cycles of pain to flourish. We can have the perspective like the disciples did, that of scarcity where we see the needs of others and we try to point them elsewhere to find help and healing. But what we find with Jesus is what Jesus might have done that evening he wants to do with us, to give us a different perspective, to see our brothers' and sisters' needs as not something we outsource but as something that is our responsibility and when we draw closer to each other, we experience that Jesus blesses the little that we have to experience a different kind of abundance, an abundance of God's mercy. So for me today, that picture of 50 people sitting around, taking the blessed elements that God had with the little bit that the community experienced, that's my picture of what a church is. A group of people who are just longing to see Jesus. 
either because of spiritual curiosity or because they need a healing or they just need a little bit of hope. And so they find themselves somehow connected with 50 other people who are looking for a little bit of Jesus in their life and they experience that Jesus not only wants to establish this profound relationship with him, but creates a community where we reject isolation and autonomy so that we can experience mutuality, compassion, and generosity. I truly believe that Jesus wants to see and and to bless the space between us so that we find out truly that God still does his best work in the context of relationships. May we, as a community, experience that and enjoy that abundance that we find that is Christ's provision for us together. So for for you guys, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling alone, my, my call to you would be to gather, to draw closer. God never intended you to go through this alone, but God gave us this abundance through community. My hope and prayer is that we would all find that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, this good word, and we thank you, God, for giving us the provision not only of yourself, but also of a church, a community of friends, people we get to walk through in life, our companions. And Lord Jesus, we do pray that we would experience the blessing of the space between us so that we would experience you and the abundance that you have called us to. We thank you for the children that are here today. We thank you that you lifted up the children to be the example of those who are entering into the kingdom of heaven. And I pray for a childlike faith within us all. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.